The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another amazing episode of Smack My Pitch Up. Thank you so much for joining us yet again. Wonderful movie that we're going to be talking about this evening, directed by one of the greatest directors of all time. We're talking Stanley Kubrick, the icon, the the director that other directors look up to. Uh, And the movie that we're going to be discussing this evening is the, no better word for it than possibly one of the greatest films ever made, Clockwork Orange. I cannot say enough about this movie. I watched it when I was very formative years, when I was about 14 or 15 years old, I want to say. And I was definitely too young to be watching it at the time that I saw it. But it definitely made me understand that there was a lot more to movies than just heroes and villains. And there's nuance and political commentary. And there's there's so much more that is on the underneath under a film. And Kubrick was so good about having those conversations while still deeply entertaining us. And uh, here to help me talk about Kubrick and Clockwork Orange and completely ruin it with our own ideas on how how, uh, how we would do it is uh, Ben Brayman. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, sir. Uh, you are a uh, entertainer in your own right around town. Uh, what kind of stuff do you have coming up here in the near future? Uh, I will be doing the Bibliophilia show at Fallout on July 24th. It is a show where I and several other performers uh, read the sex scenes from romance novels, and then we go on to read fan fictions, sex novels, and it's a lot of fun. I uh, went to the last one and was crying and cringing at different parts during the event. Some of the creativity that goes into some of these fan fictions is both really unsettling and also kind of impressive at the same time. Uh, to give you a preview of the next show, I recently dis- discovered a fan fiction where Lara Croft, the uh, the main character in Tomb Raider, yeah. uh, grows a 12-inch cock. <laughs> As one does. And it's also a crossover with Will and Grace. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's it's amazing. I, we do some weird mashups here <laughs> on Smack My Pitch Up, but I don't think as far as, uh, or as drastic as... Nothing will be as creative as that. No, no. Like, I, I was joking about how I want to do some sliders uh, slash fic for the next one, but that's not even touching Laura Croft, Will and Grace Raider. Like, that's yeah. uh, that's a whole different level that I'm not even going to get close to with my, my future endeavors here. So uh, I'm, I'm excited. I, it is absolutely a good time, and I thoroughly suggest anybody listening, if you enjoy... Uh, I... There are moments that it gets to be a little bit of a sexy time, especially depending on the reader. But for the most part, it's just goofy and weird and and wild. It it takes a subject that everybody's kind of nervous about, and it just completely destroys 
any walls that you have about it. Absolutely. It's funny to hear there was the half-human, half-helicopter uh, Ah, the great that, Chuck Tingle. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Tingle is legendary. <laughs> uh, if you have not looked up Chuck Tingle, definitely look him up and just read the titles of some of his books. It usually has to do with dinosaurs and butts uh, for most of his titles. And he does not disappoint with his uh, interesting take on uh, erotic no, you, fiction. The, the nice part is you can jump in anywhere in a Chuck Tingle story and you kind of know what you're going to get. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely a very helpful uh, author to have in your back pocket during one of these bibliophilia <laughs> nights. So what we are talking about, though, uh, one that I've not heard you do a slash fic of is uh, Clockwork Orange, which is, it, if you're unfamiliar with what we do here on Smack My Pitch Up, we basically take a film or TV property or a book occasionally, and we adapt it, reboot, remake, uh, sequelize, sidequelize, or otherwise mash up to our own whims uh, to make it kind of what we think might actually work for a reboot or a remake, or also something just as a weird take on it before we've done uh, John Waters doing a He-Man movie uh, was a, was a fun one. We did Mario brothers. If it was done in the style of Burt Reynolds movie Gator, where uh, Mario was going through the Everglades. Yeah. Yeah. And Bowser was just a meth dealer that stole Mario's girlfriend. And uh, is that not, the actual story of the video games? That's what I thought it was. But, yeah. You know, I thought they tried to make it all nicey-nice for the kiddies, <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. So we just try to kind of figure out what we would like to see that would never get made, but is an interesting kind of thought piece on what it would look like if it was done that way as well. So what we're going to go into first is what time period the uh, the film is taking place in, uh, if there's any kind of changes to the overall plot of A Clockwork Orange that you want to get into, is there stuff that was involved in the book that you would like to really see in the film, or is are you just going basically off the film itself? Um, basically, you know, what, what does your movie look like in comparison to uh, the original Clockwork Orange? Uh, sure. Uh, well, where to start, yeah. uh, I guess, would be the time period. Okay. And I, th I think what Kubrick was going for was timeless. He, he wanted this to take place in any... This could take place 10 years from now. It could take place 100 years in the past, And it definitely came across in the movie where there were borderline kind of futuristic things like a milk drug bar randomly uh, in there. But it also felt, felt very 1970s at the same time. There was this... Yeah, it was just kind of all oh, over I mean, the place. Oh, I mean, that scene in the record shop. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Where he's, you know, kind of dressed like a skinnier Django. Yeah. Um, that was incredibly 1970s, also kind of timeless. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I would want to keep that. Yeah. I think that's an important part of the story. Okay, and definitely. the overall uh, moral okay. of it. <laughs> well, I think that's why so many years later it still kind of connects with people is that it doesn't feel... It doesn't uh, feel dated. Yeah, it doesn't feel dated. It just it still kind of connects to some of the base issues with getting older and and you know fear of uh, uh, just society and and people that are unwilling to be part of it or you know your expectations growing up and g becoming part of society. It, right. It's it's like the the Japanese saying the the hammer that sticks up must be nailed down. Yeah. Uh, I think I think this movie is that is that saying. Okay, it's Alex having to be nailed down. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah. <laughs> he he was, uh, 
uh, not exactly the nicest dude on the street. Uh, he definitely he's he's a scumbag. Yeah, he's complete, an absolute complete scumbag. And total scumbag. Which it's weird that he's become iconic, and you know Mal- Malcolm McDowell, who played Alex, is that really launched him into being a like a, a star, like a real superstar. I I think you need someone with that amount of charisma. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want that almost sociopathic approach to the character. Malcolm McDowell is an unsettling human being. <laughs> yeah. I had the chance to meet him at a horror con a few years back. And I'd heard mixed things about, whether, you know, nice guy or just, yeah, he was really short with us. And he was perfectly pleasant when I met him. But he was definitely quiet, not uninvolved quiet, more just wasn't going to small talk, you know, kind of, kind of approach. And there's definitely this presence around him. When you get near him, just there are some people that have that, you know, where you get near them and you're like, whoa, okay, there's a whole lot happening here. Oh, I absolutely believe yeah, it. I yeah. mean, I think one of my favorite Malcolm McDowell performances is uh, all voice uh, when he plays the president in uh, Fallout 3. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he's got an unmistakable voice and he usually plays a character that's kind of either a megalomaniac or a little bit of a sociopath because he plays that character really well, but... He also does it in this very charming style. Even when he was the leader of Water and Power and Tank Girl, he was still He has some charisma. Yeah, yeah, he has some charisma to him. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to see him in like a family movie. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to see him in like a new parenthood reboot where he's like... <laughs> what is it? Uh, eight is enough? Yeah, eight is enough. Yeah, with Malcolm McDowell, that'd be a little bit much. But uh, yeah, I think Malcolm McDowell was absolutely perfect as Alex. I think Stanley Kubrick, his weaving this world that felt both familiar and a little bit surreal at the same time. He did a great job of kind of uh, reconciling the two, allowing both to exist in the same space without really running each other over. Kubrick was one of those directors that could build a world. Mm-hmm. Like it, the, this doesn't end like at the edge of your screen. Like yeah. this is a living, breathing thing. Yeah. And you oh. saw it with so many of his movies, even the shining, even though the vast majority of the movie takes place in one hotel the entire world feels like it that that kind of thin veil between living and you know this other plane of existence it was just part of the whole thing it wasn't just in this hotel it was just kind of like just more concentrated there but it definitely felt like it was bigger than just the hotel absolutely yeah and that kind of feeling also comes in not the the spiritual or, or thin veil between life and death or whatever in this but this feeling of being able to make uh, a, an entire environment feel a certain way without going deeply into description, not having to explain it all too terribly much. And uh, as, as you said, it's timeless. I, I don't want to lose that either. I want to make sure that it's very timeless, that it feels like it could be in the 1970s or 20 years from now. And uh, so the overall style of dress, the cars used, I want them to be kind of not over the all over the place time wise, but maybe something that seems very nondescript, very not no fads, no fads, As, absolutely, yeah, yeah, or uh, or maybe if there are kind of interesting decision clothing and stuff that would work both as kind of retro wear now as well as back when it first came out, you know, that it wouldn't be out of place nowadays. So right, like the droogs are dressed strangely, but that's something I could probably go to a sports store and build. Sure. For like $25. Yeah, you now. get like a jock strap, some baseball pants, and a, a dress shirt with some suspenders, and you're yeah. good to go. That's, yeah. And uh, that, that that's kind of important for something that seems like it's put together. You know, it's not 
this isn't a superhero movie where there's a billionaire that happens to also be a superhero that builds you a suit real quick with his robots. <laughs> you know, this is something that it needs to feel kind of lived in and just thrown together. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, cause, and I'm a little embarrassed to say I never knew this before uh, rewatching it, but they're teenagers. Yeah. I had no idea. Like, I thought Alex was like, 25. Well, and that's something that I kind of fought with when doing the casting is that I wanted to be true to the idea that these are literally teenagers that are doing horrifying stuff. And if I tried to cast it with that age group, I think it would be a little bit more true to the books, but it might not be quite as palatable to a popular audience. And so I I kind of uh, I kind of went a little bit older um than than teenage years as far as the age of the actors, but I didn't go fully like in their thirties, you know, I didn't go, go too far. Um, but I am interested to see how, how it would work if you had like 16 year old actors raping people. There might be a Kurt Fluffle. Yeah, there might be a little bit of a blowback from that for sure. Yeah. But, uh, what I wanted to do with the story was less about changing the timeless tone of it, but kind of explain in more modern terms, why there are these roving gangs of droogs that are running around the streets. And I thought that you kind of pulled from history. You go into the UK when there were the, uh, uh, sanitation riots when trash men weren't taking the trash out and trash was lining the streets. Unemployment was like crazy high. The 1970s, kind of what gave the birth to punk rock was this feeling of, of the world falling apart and the government not working. And you kind of mix that in with a little bit of Brexit where it's unsure as to whether or not it's part of the EU or if it's going to be its own thing. Uh, there's kind of off and on police strikes that are happening in the town. So there isn't nearly as much law enforcement while all this stuff's going down. And then you've got all these kids that are like, not in school because there isn't like government funding yeah, or something. I, idle hands and all that. Yeah. And they kind of get into gangs and the gangs that are formed are kind of based in their own little personal echo chambers, which brings in a conversation of how things are today where these deeply polarized ideologies and people kind of team up into their own little groups based on their own ideals. And then, then they echo each other so that they think that anyone else even mildly different in ideology is the enemy. And then you set them out on the streets against each other and then you've got droogs <laughs> it seems like a pretty easy progression uh now that you've just said that like the 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 things you see on like uh like you know deep corners of the internet like like 4chan yeah uh that that's perfect for the rise of these like shitty gangs yeah it's just nihilistic you could have the 4chan droogs and you can have the uh like the red hat wearing droogs you could have the the, the incel droogs? The, oh, God. <laughs> the incel droogs, yes. In fact, I might rather have droogs than incels. Like, yeah, I it's at least, you know, you could tell by matching outfits what they are. So. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they let you know, like, what they're up to. Yeah, they're just wearing no ma'am t-shirts <laughs> from, uh, from Married with Children. And you're like, okay, there they are. That's right there. So. But yeah, I think that would at least explain kind of the reasoning for these groups to get together. And what sep sets apart uh, Alex and his droogs from the other groups is that all these ones, all these other groups are kind of based on these various levels of ideologies, whereas his are just simply nihilists. It's believing in nothing uh, where there isn't any driving force. They're not beating up minorities or trying to like take back the power from government or whatever. They just want chaos. They just want chaos. They just, they're a bunch of little jokers from the dark night running around, <laughs> like just creating chaos. And, uh, that makes for a much more dynamic uh, group to follow, especially when they're surrounded by all these, you know, people with real ideologies that they're trying to push through violence or, you know, action. Yeah. 
And then they're just like, yeah, that's cool. You want to burn this with us? <laughs> that it, it's just about really kind of, you know, fueling the fire, just wa- waving their, uh, getting the wind to kick up on these flames so it'll burn a little bit hotter. It, that's interesting because uh, in one of the first scenes in the movie when they beat up, uh, is it Billy Boy or Billy Bob? I think it's Billy Boy, I think. I, th- I think it's Billy Boy. Yeah. Uh, when he beats up their gang, he's he's not attacking them because they were attacking that that woman. They're just there. Yeah, yeah. It's not at all to save that woman because no. they also later do terrible things to women. So it's yeah, not absolutely. to protect the weak. You know, it's I wanna I wanna play off what you just said. Okay, with terrible things to women because part of my pitch for the movie, uh, going through, I I rewatched it uh, a couple times for this. Okay, and. I kind of just, uh, a phrase that came back into my mind over and over is uh, Brock Turner, the movie. And that's basically what this is. <laughs> okay. Is just how many chances is this shitty white kid going to get? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he is, because, uh, spoiler alert, by the way, for a uh, almost 50-year-old movie. Yeah, I don't think, I don't, if anybody <laughs> do gets I have mad, this? not for this. I not, mean, if it's, no if, it's a rec- for, if it's a recent film, we usually do spoiler <laughs> alerts, but if it's... A movie from literally the seventies. I think. I think we're oh. good. Yeah. Spoiler alert: a uh, a Stanley Kubrick movie does not end well. No. No. Uh, that he's going back to the violence, and that is that. That's kind of just the summation of uh, these kids that constantly get away with stuff. There was that kid that ran over a family when he was drunk, and he was like fourteen. Yeah. And then he got what time served and an ankle monitor for six months or something. Was that the affluenza kid? Or... I think that was okay. the affluenza kid. And I'm, <laughs> I know I'm not remembering his punishment it's, correctly, but it was a there's slap. So on many the wrist. white kids that just get a slap on the wrist because yeah. you know, Oh well, we don't want to ruin your life just because you ruined somebody else's. Yeah, no. But a lot of my pitch, I think, would lean into that. I like just that. A it, character examination. Absolutely. So you're going more individual on that specific group on why they're able to get away with all this stuff. Basically. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. The, the infrastructure is, is there to just keep propping him up. Okay. So no matter what happens, he ends up just kind of landing on his feet at the end. Right. Of the kind of failing upwards. Oh, man. That, that fits really well with kind of A Clockwork Orange and also would be deeply infuriating for anybody watching the film. I... But that's the thing. This is not supposed to be a ha- uh, like a good, a happy movie. No, to this watch. isn't a romantic comedy. <laughs> this is this is a deeply disturbing like like psychological drama. And yeah, I yeah, yeah I, I guess yeah. Um, I it reminds me of a, a meme that's been going around about a movie that's on Netflix right now about these kids that are caught in a park when a uh, when a rape happens, and it's all all the black kids in the park get pulled in right and, the and, central park five yeah it's a central park five and uh something that's been going around on the internet is that like you don't seem to understand it, that this is a horror movie for black people like that this is this is real <laughs> like and this is terrifying and you might yeah. watch it not understanding that um i feel like your version also can have a little bit of that tone where it's like this predator keeps getting out on the street. This predator keeps getting a slap on the wrist and like, Oh, well he didn't mean it. And then gets released again that it can very much have that same kind of tone of being utterly terrifying to, to, to well, hopefully most people but to especially certain groups that would be preyed upon by someone like Alex. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, the ending of that movie is pretty terrifying yeah. that he's, 
you know, where is he going to go? What is he going to do? And now he has the backing of like major political players. Yeah. That are looking to kind of take down the government and can use him as kind of a figurehead for it. So there's this all, all the strength behind it. Uh, yeah, that's who. So, so having said that, I'm going to go into uh, the serious side of things, uh, starting with the director. Oftentimes the director, just like Kubrick with the original Clockwork Orange, sets the stage for what kind of tone this movie is going to have. Like you said with Kubrick, it's not going to end well for a Kubrick film. So right. that kind of, there's a certain way that a Kubrick movie feels. And so you kind of think about casting in those terms. So with the directors that I've chosen, uh, definitely thought about what actors would work well in that style. So for my serious I decided to go with a director that both knows how to get real weird, like really weird, but also, especially in the later films that he's done, has shown real, real artistry and having these really tense and really like very stylized uh, like fights and and really tense moments of of uh, an example is in his this I'm talking uh, David Cronenberg. Is, is, Are you serious? I'm serious? Yeah, that was my choice. Was that your choice too? <laughs> This happens from time to time. And I always love when it does because it means that maybe we hit on something. If, I, he is a phenomenal director. He's, he's one of my favorites. You go from like horrifying, weird, surreal horror to Eastern promises and, and a history of violence where it shows a real spectrum of talent when it comes to directing. Absolutely. Uh, my, my thought was because this is a, a movie based on a book, I was thinking of directors who have made movies that are better than the book. Okay. Okay. And the only two I could come up with was were uh David Cronenberg and uh David Fincher. Okay. I was thinking Fincher as well, but I just used him recently on another episode, so I didn't want to He's a great director. Oh, he's I'm... fantastic. Yeah. Apparently he's really hard to work for because he knows exactly what he wants and he's going to work you until he gets it. But I mean, look at his films. I mean, look kinda... at Kubrick who he... did I think, you know, does 600 shots of a grape just to film a fruit basket. And also terrorizes his actors <laughs> to get the right kind of tone in their playing of portrayal of the character. So, yeah. I'd say between Kubrick and Fincher, probably Fincher is a big teddy bear compared to what Kubrick did on set. <laughs> but, yeah, I decided Cronenberg. I'm interested to see who you have for casting now, too, because uh, it's a... Uh, and I always like to see who you think might work in that style of film. Cronenberg... Uh, what I was thinking of specifically with Cronenberg is the bathhouse scene in a, in uh, Eastern Promises. Oh, that where he's nude and there's this absolute feeling of being completely vulnerable in that scene. I'm watching this scene and cringing because there's dudes with knives coming after him and he's got literally zero protection. <laughs> Even if he holds up his arms to protect, he's getting his arms slashed. I mean, there's, right. there's nothing to protect him from oh, his knife. Oh, no, that is a great scene. I... And, and incredible. And I'm just thinking about these scenes in Clockwork Orange with these other droogs or fighting other people and having a director that already knows how to kind of properly portray that level of vulnerability. Some of these really delicate and really dark moments, it's going to portray not a moment of where the crowd is like laughing and cheering at these like these asshole kids doing some dark and dirty shit. It's going to be more like horrified at the moment, which is the right emotion to have, you know? <laughs> so I, I know that he was able to do that. That's kind of why I leaned on him. But uh, the actor playing Alex, I did want to go a little bit younger, but not young, young to the point where it's problematic for actually getting this film made. And I decided to go with kind of a curveball here. Uh, D Dane Dehan. And if you're unfamiliar with him, he was like the main bad guy in Chronicle. Uh, he was the bad kid in Chronicle. He was the uh, 
the Green Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, okay. Yeah. I unfortunately saw Amazing yeah. Spider-Man <laughs> unfortunately, 2. Unfortunately, me too, where all the villains just announce what their name is without any backstory. It's like, <laughs> I did it, I know. Okay, well, that came out of nowhere, but fine, go ahead. I mean, to be fair, most of the reason I saw that movie was Paul Giamatti in a giant rhino outfit. With a forehead tattoo? <laughs> And a bad Russian accent. I mean, borderline. Oh, great. As bad as uh, Tim Curry and Congo bad. I mean, just <laughs> pretty rough. But yeah, um, Dane Dehan, he has the ability to play this kind of like slightly unhinged type of character. He did really well with Chronicle in that, that he played this like kind of friendly, but underneath there's a lot of real bad shit happening. I think with Cronenberg. Uh, playing that up a little bit i think that'd be a really interesting mix to see happen as, as far as alex and also i kind of liked that he wasn't a very big guy either you got malcolm mcdowell who's this kind of wiry yeah yeah kind of wiry character and but but tall still and whereas uh dane dehan is not a terribly tall dude he's not he's probably probably a little taller than me not that that's a, a high <laughs> bar to go for but uh he's not an overall huge dude not even tall and lanky just kind of lanky and and small in size and i was interested to see that kind of dynamic of it just being literally because he's got his droogs that he's able to get away with this shit so when the droogs go away he's, he's immensely done. vulnerable yeah. yeah that's all his power that that's interesting i'll i'll have to uh i have to look that actor up because i guess green goblin is not <laughs> I, Not I don't, a great. I don't blame skill. his portrayal as the reason why that movie sucked. Uh, no, I, he, he's a good actor. That's just a trash film. I mean, you have Jamie Foxx, who I know can act, just being trash as Electro in that. So, oh, I just saw Dark Phoenix, so I've seen a lot of good actors in a trash movie okay. recently. <laughs> I still have not seen Dark Phoenix yet, but. I, I'm going to go see it. Right. Uh, as much as I'm not even really looking forward to it, but I'm going to go see it. Uh, next one up is Dim, one of the Droogs. And this was a kind of, he was the one with the big lips, kind of a uh, little bit of a chubbier. Yeah, he's, he's one of the ones that becomes a police officer. Yep. And I think he's the one that hits him with the milk bottle. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. But he's kind of round-faced. He's a little bit, not, I not, wouldn't go as far to say to Dumpy, but he's definitely kind of just like the kind of like pudgy sidekick type droog character in this and so i wanted somebody that not necessarily like pudgy and dumpy but more just kind of has that feeling of a little bit not a leader basically has that kind of i'm i'm following a stronger person and kind of doing the dirty work for them kind of tone um and so well, i, I mean, thought he's called dim yeah he's literally called dim uh somebody that did that in a wizarding type movie um uh, that i think would be a good match here is uh rupert grint from uh harry Ooh. the harry potter movies as, okay uh, as dim I think I've seen him play edgier roles. He was in the CBGB movie as one of the members of the Dead Boys. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was interesting to see that happen. Uh, wearing like a mesh tank top and a spiked collar. Yeah, we ain't rock. in Hogwarts now. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I, I think it would be kind of interesting to see him as a Droog. And also it's such an iconic role. I'm sure he'd be down for it as well. So then we've got for Georgie, who's definitely more of a slender type character um, and kind of a little bit. Uh, greasy looking, I guess, is the best They're all kind of greasy. All, yeah, <laughs> they're all kind of greasy. But I wanted something that kind of stringy hair, kind of seemed a little bit out of sorts as well. And an uh, actor that actually coming into his own, own now, uh, out from under the shadow of his older brother, who was a iconic actor in the 90s, uh, Kieran Culkin, Macaulay Culkin's younger brother. Uh, he's been in a number right. of movies. The most recent was the uh, Lords of Chaos, the uh, black metal movie. 
about uh, <laughs> about the church burnings in Scandinavia back in the nineties. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and he and he plays uh he plays the dude from Burzum in that movie. Or no, not from Burzum. He plays the dude from Mayhem in that movie. Um, who's the I forget the actor that played the dude from Burzum, but um or Varg from Burzum, but uh he he does a uh, not as bad as it could be kind of pseudo scandinavian accent and he just plays this kind of jealous black metal kid and uh he does an okay job in a not so great movie so huh i'm interested to see what he did here and there's some some fucked up group dynamic stuff happening in there as well so i think that would translate over then for mr alexander who's the gentleman who's the the writer yeah the writer whose wife was uh viciously uh beaten and raped and then left for dead and then she ended up dying several months later from a pneumonia that but he blames it on the attack and he's left in a wheelchair, uh, paralyzed from the waist down. Tragic character uh, that also is a kind of, he's a writer that's very kind of like counter-government or, or anti-government and very kind of with powerful friends. And I wanted somebody that was had that dynamic and kind of intense tone that could play both really friendly and also get really intense when need be. And an actor that also is familiar with working with David Kroderberg. This is an actor that was in A History of Violence fantastic actor they can play both sides ed harris as uh that is a great choice yeah that I, is... think, I think i just see the scene where he's hearing alex sing singing in the rain in the bathroom and then he's freaking out as he's realizing who he has in his house that it, i came back to that scene a lot trying to cast this movie yeah because you get an actor that can't play that scene and it's just going to be ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. You need somebody that you feel that like absolute both terror and rage happening at the same time. And I I mean it's Ed Harris, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he can definitely do that. No, he's great. He is he's great in The Rock, which is one of the craziest movies oh you'll ever God, see. That movie is I've come to have a better appreciation for The Rock as I've gotten older, but I was I thought it was horrible when it came out. I mean, it's not good, don't get me wrong, but I've come to appreciate how bad it is now. It's it's exactly as dumb as I want it to be. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a dumb Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah. And sometimes that's just what you want to watch. It's that or Con Air. So. Or Face Off. Face Off. Face is, Off is amazing. Face Off is almost too much sometimes, though. It's just too fucking buck wild. I got I got the chance uh, uh, out in Portland to go see uh, Face Off in the theater. It was completely packed. I'm talking standing room almost. <laughs> and just everybody yelling, I could pee to eat a peach for hours. <laughs> I, I I think it's one of my, my favorite movie experiences because everybody came out there to just enjoy this movie. Like we laughed at the right moments. Yeah. It's a great flick. There's something so manically joyful of a movie where Nicolas Cage gets to go full cage where he just goes buck fucking wild. Cause it's a lot of movies, but it's not all his movies. Some are a little bit more muted. The most recent that I was just overjoyed about was Mandy. It, yes, absolutely. Where they're all throughout the entire film. He basically goes buck wild, but one specific scene where he's like chugging liquor in the bathroom and like screaming this like primal scream and just, flipping out and it's this amazing little kind of photograph of what makes me so happy to see a Nicolas Cage movie as <laughs> like that but in every movie Nicolas Cage can act he just doesn't do it often <laughs> yeah. he just decides to chew as much scenery as humanly possible absolutely yeah 
So finally, my my last one is uh, Mrs. Alexander, the the uh, dear departed Mrs. Alexander, and I wanted a actress that could be kind of dismissive and kind of this feeling of like better than and kind of like that kind of taking care of waspy type of tone uh, woman that gets completely like you know almost kind of a Cersei Lannister kind of tone okay uh, to her, uh, but also where you. Don't immediately don't like her, but then what starts happening to her, you were immediately like, yeah, no one deserves, you know, that you, nobody's a real hero in this, but there's definitely the someone that kind of forces a 180 on yeah, how you exactly. picture this character. Yeah, that you immediately have to turn to wanting to like help her, even though you're not a, the, her biggest fan. And somebody, I think, especially in the last 10 years, has given me that kind of feeling about her is uh, Madonna. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I want to hear this. Well, Madonna's not the greatest actress ever. She's been in only a couple films, um, and she's not terrible, but she's, you know, passable at best. But with a lot of the interviews I've seen with her, a lot of the music videos and everything, she does have this tone that she likes to present of herself as being above or, or better than. She's not part of the people. She's the thing the people, like, reach up towards. And she has this kind of tone about her. Oh, absolutely. That, that it's like, you know, what are you, you going to do to keep my attention kind of tone? And I thought it interesting to have her as being a little bit younger than Ed Harris. So being like the younger wife of like an older writer. So you have that kind of dynamic, but still like getting up there in years herself. You know, they've both kind of gotten up there in age, um, but still attractive and and still kind of doing her thing. Um, and then these children show up where she doesn't even really see them as anything because they're fucking children. You know, they're they're not interesting or interested. You know, it's just whatever. And then though that's her undoing. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Like, yeah. all right. So, and I thought it was a nice curveball too, like Madonna. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sold. Also, it's a short scene. She's not in the movie for very long, so it would have to be. Right. Like, it's nailing almost a cameo. Kind of. Yeah. Pretty close to. Um, she She's only in for a minor part, but it's definitely a major moment in the entire film. You need somebody that really kind of signifies the complete downfall of this group. I mean, from being just like, yeah, cause they were, that's the first real like rape that we see that they've done. I believe. I think so. There was the like artist woman after that, but that's, I think where they got caught. Yeah. The okay. artist, the artist or no, the cat woman, cat woman. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Where yeah, the giant, the giant glass dick, uh, no, spoiler alert. Yeah. I have Catwoman playing. Okay. Alex. I was, I was debating, <laughs> I was debating on the Catwoman on casting that, but uh, so that's what I've got for my series. What do you got for your series here? Uh, so for my series, I mentioned David Cronenberg yeah. because, like I said, he's he's taken un, just un. Maybe I'm being a little harsh with this, but uh, there's nobody here to argue with me. Yeah. Uh, he took Naked Lunch, which is just unfilmable garbage, and he made it. A pretty decent movie. As much as I am a fan of like the beat writers and and Burroughs, um, I I love Burroughs, but the fact that Naked Lunch got turned into a movie doesn't make sense to me, right? Because that it's... that book is, I mean, Burroughs in general, a lot of he's been mentioned as kind of like the godfather of industrial music because he, when he did writing, he would literally lift a paragraph from one part of his writing and put it in another part of his writing. That is interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So uh, actually, Genesis P. Orridge was like Psychic TV and Throbbing Gristle was a huge Burroughs fan and credited him as a as a uh, inspiration. But but just just the idea 
of David Cronenberg looking at that and going, yeah, I can make a movie out of this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and it's, okay, maybe coherent isn't the right word, but that movie follows a progression. Yeah, unlike the books where it's just, uh, I, I, how do you even yeah, describe Naked Lunch to somebody? I mean, it's... It, it's it's whatever he saw. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And then he did it again with a, a history of violence. Oh. Like he... Re- like he changed a lot of that, yeah. But it's a fantastic movie, and I think you could argue it might be better than the novel. Yeah, I could make might. that determination. Um, I do like just how well it was acted and directed, where you weren't entirely sure until the very end on whether or not this was the right guy or not. Right. You know, they definitely pushed that envelope real hard. And that's something else he can do is he can build that world. Mm-hmm. that exists beyond what you're seeing on the screen. Yeah. So I went with uh, David Cronenberg as the director. Uh, and I don't know a lot of teen actors. That's which, tough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like part of me is like, eh, maybe that's a good thing that I don't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that I don't know a lot of teen actors. You're not religiously watching the Disney channel. And, mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. So for Alex, I went with Michael Fassbender. Okay. I think he's just, one of the best actors working today. And he can be truly terrifying when he wants to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that so much of the movie is just him. Mm-hmm. Just him on your screen that you need an actor that, that has that charisma but can still be like, this guy might be a serial murderer. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I'm going to watch him and find out. And I, I, What was the film he was in? Uh, was it Shame? Um, that he... Yeah, had this where he weird kind of dynamic with his like sister, and then he was like a sex fiend and was going around and like yeah, fucking all over the place, and it was just really depraved and dark and unsettling, and and he did a fantastic job. I mean, it, Dark Phoenix, he plays yeah. Magneto, who is you know constantly you know I I've put the past behind me, but you know at any moment he's you know, going to draw the iron out of somebody's blood yeah, or something. Yeah, absolutely. And he does a great job with that. So uh, that's my Alex, is okay. Michael Fassbender. Maybe a little old for the role, but since this is all fantasy casting, it's all for we can, fun. Yeah, yeah, we can absolutely. de-age him. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Uh, yeah, we'll use the this Disney technology to uh, de-age <laughs> him. We'll be fine. And so for the, the rest of the characters I wanted to cast, I went with people that have a major impact on the movie. Okay. Um. So the first one is obviously Mr. Alexander. And yeah, you need someone that can sell that that happy protest, you know, that idealized view of the protest writer, the little guy yeah. against the government. But is still something uh, we haven't talked about yet is Mr. Alexander is just as bad as the other people that use Alex. Sure. Uh, they... The minute he figures out who he is, he thinks about how he can make this work for him. Sure. And so you need you need somebody just really unhinged to play Mr. Alexander. I went with Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, and again, mo- most of these I just picked like I, I like that actor. <laughs> but I can actually see Dafoe doing the holding his ears and like kind of silently screaming that absolutely yeah. Some, somebody that wouldn't make that scene parody no it would be just you could feel just the utter just heartbreak and rage happening uh from just his, that giant mouth in a quiet scream i mean i think there's a good reason why 
you know, we've had so many iterations of so many superheroes, but we've had one Green Goblin, and it's <laughs> yeah. Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, correct. Uh, so next, I just I just wrote Droogs. Uh, okay. And I went with Ryan Gosling, Robert Pattinson, and Robin, Lo- Robin Lord Taylor, of whom that one might not be a recognizable name. Robin Lord Taylor sounds familiar, and I'm trying to place he it. He plays the penguin in Gotham. The TV series. Oh, and he's fantastic. He's great. Yeah. He is great. I gave up on Gotham a long time ago, but yeah. I really hope I see Robin Lord Taylor in a lot of things. He was in, uh, very briefly, he had a small cameo in the last John Wick movie. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Very small role. It was just like a short scene, but he was in it. And I went, ooh, <laughs> it's a penguin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, luckily my my uh, friend or co-host Lowdown on GUI was there with me and was like, yeah, it's, it's Penguin. And was one person like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, th- uh, I think with his, with his droogs, you need, I, I think of crabs in a barrel. Okay. They, one of them could do something pretty good, but they're all trying to get one over on the other. Sure. Um, and, and yeah, that leads to them abandoning Alex. That leads to them becoming cops. Mm-hmm is just this, you know, you're not going to get further than I am. Yeah, yeah. And I I think all three of those guys are good enough that they could each give it something different, maybe. Okay. Maybe give that character a little different reason why he's just never going to do anything good in his life. And if you are going to choose a time for Robert Pattinson to be in something iconic, maybe right after he's announced as Batman, just get it all out of the way <laughs> all at the same time. Like he's Batman. He's also Droog. And we're also remaking Clockwork Orange. And then just there's riots in Europe. Oh wait, that's already happening. And uh, <laughs> so that's covered already too. So this is the perfect time to cast Robert Pattinson in uh, Clockwork Orange remake. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you got uh, the Droogs. Who else do you have here? I've got a uh, real quickly. I have Doctor Bradley, not a big role. Okay, but uh, there were uh, there were two actors I thought of when uh, thought of immediately. Was like I'm going to find roles for him. Willem Dafoe was one of them, and the other one is Peter Cushing. Ooh, okay, yeah. Uh, most people know him as uh, Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars: A New Hope. Yeah, but he has a huge filmography, and he's a really varied actor. But if you remember Grand Moff Tarkin, he is terrifying. And I think he has like two lines of dialogue. Yeah. Now, he's dead. Yes. So, so yeah, this is clearly fantasy casting. This is absolutely yeah, yeah, fantasy yeah, casting. Sure. Which, you get that. Like, that's <laughs> fine. Like, we've done it before. But um, the one person I was thinking of, because I didn't cast the doctor, but I was trying to think, um, a he played the German doctor in Captain America, the first Avenger. Oh, yeah, Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. That's the it. Tooch. The Tooch. <laughs> the Tooch to the Nooch. He is fantastic. He would play a great doctor. That that would be great yeah. casting. Yeah. Uh, next, uh, real quick, uh, is the prison chaplain, I think, okay. has a has not a big role, but a, it's an important, an important role. role. Yeah. yeah. Russell Crowe. <laughs> okay. All right. Because with the, ch- the chaplain and the minister of the interior... You need an actor that could that could sell a refrigerator to an Eskimo. Gotcha. You need someone that can sell you a broken car and have you smiling as you call a cab. Okay. And I I think Russell Crowe can do that. He 
could sort of play that understated priest role. Okay, I dig it. I'll go as far to say he was pretty good in The Mummy. I would see. I would watch. I never watched The Mummy. I, he plays Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. I, I knew that. And I mean, if you're gonna cast an actor as Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, it's Russell. Crowe. Yeah, yeah. Just keep the the telephones away from him so he doesn't <laughs> throw it at a any any hotel attendants. I think, and uh, then you're good. And then my last, excuse me, uh, my last casting is Frederick, the Minister of the Interior. And again, I said you need you need somebody that can sell you a broken vacuum cleaner. Sure, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton, yes. And I think, I would actually say the Minister of the Interior is one of the most important roles of the movie because that very end scene when he's uh, talking to the press and he, you know, he's telling Alex that, you know, we're friends and we're on the same team. Mm -hmm. That is, that is the whole movie wrapping up right there. Yeah. And you just, you need an actor that can, can sell it. You need the founder. You need Ray Kroc. Yeah. Okay. I got you. And by the way, yeah, great movie. The, the founder. Oh, absolutely. Phenomenal. I did not think I would enjoy that movie as much as I did, but if you uh, haven't had a chance, uh, John Oliver recently had uh, Michael Keaton, Michael K. Williams, Brian Cranston, and Richard Kind read as a uh, CEO of one of the uh, pharmacies responsible for the opioid em- epidemic. Oh, wow. He had them read a uh, court testimony because the guy has rarely wow. been filmed. And Michael Keaton is amazing. It's just getting to see four good actors just act. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm going to check that out probably after we're done because that sounds amazing. Uh, Before we go on, though, I did. uh, I found out something interesting that I thought you'd enjoy is that the bodybuilder in the second time Alex goes to the writer's house, the bodybuilder is played by David Prowse, Darth Vader. Holy shit. I I had no idea. I never put that together. Holy shit. Yeah. So I, uh, the guy that's like carrying him in, right? right? Yeah, that carries his chair up and down the stairs. Yeah, that's Darth Vader. <laughs> that's amazing. So I thought, uh, that that would be a good place to have a cameo, and I would throw Chris Hemsworth in there. Okay, I dig it. I, I'm pretty sure you could pick up a chair with somebody in it, right? Yeah, yeah the guy I, that plays Thor, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I just think that's a pretty cool fact about the movie. That is cool as hell. I like that. I love see. I love those little factoids. That's yeah. part of the reason why I love doing shows like this. But now to uh, go down our funny take uh, before we get into our mashups and everything. So uh, don't have to spend a lot of time on this because clearly it's just uh, <laughs> it's a choice. I decided to see what would happen if we make this into a whimsical, uh, goofy kind of slapstick comedy directed by the Farrelly Brothers, best known for uh, "There's Something About Mary," uh, "Me, Myself, and Irene." Uh, stuck on you, yeah. Fever pitch, uh, yeah. Th- th- those guys. They did fever pitch. They did fever pitch, which is right. a lot more muted for them than yeah. they normally go. Yeah. yeah, okay. So this is a Fairly Brothers joint, where Alex will be played by Ty Sheridan, who played uh, the main character in Ready Player One. <laughs> he is got adorable boyish charm. So this movie, obviously. For some reason, you're going to be rooting for the horrifying, like sociopathic <laughs> Alex, because he's the main, you know, protagonist uh, in this film, as opposed to antagonist. Uh, then we've got Dim, his his uh, right right hand man, that will be played by Ansel Elgort, who played Baby in Baby Driver. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the the, the strong, silent, kind of like <laughs> baby face type. Then you've got Georgie, the other Droog, who is definitely more of a like kind of weaselly. Uh, 
but you want somebody that's whimsical to kind of play off these other characters as well. So great comedic timing, great actor, Ezra Miller as Georgie. So who played uh, the Flash in the Justice League movies. He was yeah. in terms of being a wallflower. Um, all the movies I've seen him in, he's a phenomenal actor. So, um, and also great comedic timing. All these guys kind of know how to play play the scene for funny, even when they're not doing something specifically funny. Then we've got Mr. Alexander. I wanted somebody that could look like they could break bad, um, but also could be charming and, and kind of scheming as well. So Mr. Alexander, stuck in the wheelchair, wife, died of pneumonia after a horrible incident. Uh, Woody Harrelson. Ooh, all a, right. Worked with the Farrelly brothers before in Kingpin. So Right, yeah. okay. And then his uh, wife... Mrs. Alexander uh, is an actress that has uh, just recently started getting back into acting again after a long uh, time away from it. One uh, Renee Zellweger as Mrs. Alexander. So that's what I've got for the casting there. These are all characters that can play both intense and silly. Yeah. And so that's the thing is I didn't really know how to put forward a Farrelly Brothers joint of Clockwork Orange with all the, you know, ultra violence and rape. Uh, so I just said the characters and left it at that and didn't want to go into too much detail because I didn't want to make it too whimsical. Um, that is up to your own imaginations, listeners. And I'm so sorry. So, so, Ooh, (laughs) my, uh, my funny take would be, uh, you need, uh, you need directors that really understand comedy. So the Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer, who are responsible for epic movie date oh, movie? Oh Jesus! <laughs> wow! I I tried to think of just two people that would turn in just, just the most repugnant a tire fire, right? Yeah, like like directors that I'm not even sure know how to point the camera in the right direction. <laughs> I'm just glad you didn't say McG because there are so many people that have said McG like three or four times that that's come up. That guy, I thought about it, but that seemed like a, a pretty obvious yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah, but no, that that's a that's a nice little pull there. That's those movies are Thank so you. awful. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like they've made a lot of them too. Yeah, well, because there is an audience for it, which is actually what makes me upset about it. That that's like that's where the lowest common denominator is. I thought it was higher than that. <laughs> I think I think people still like the Naked Gun. Like they're going to these movies expecting the Naked Gun. And yeah. they're not getting it. No, I love the Naked Gun. Yeah, and and Police Squad and all those uh, Airplane, all those goofy parody movies, but they were good and they was real thought behind the jokes, not just uh, look. I'm dressed just like this other character that you saw in this other movie. Well, the Zuckers, the Zuckers loved that material. Like they clearly enjoyed disaster movies, sure. and they made Airplane of like, hey, let's laugh at this thing, but really, let's go see a disaster movie after. Sure. This. I, I don't I I don't think uh Friedberg and Seltzer enjoy movies at all. No, it just looks like they're trying to figure out how to write just the bare bones of a plot enough to find a reason for uh kick ass to end up running into the girl from Ten Things I Hate About You or something. You know, that it's just these It's they're not even punchlines. It's no. just, hey, do you remember that movie? So yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on. Cool. <laughs> uh, let's let's remember this other thing now. Yeah. Um, and so I, I believe, uh, with those two directing, you need an Alex that has a lot of emotional depth as an actor. So I went with Mark Wahlberg. Clearly, clearly. I think that's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Alexander would be played by Lewis Black. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Uh, and 
entirely for that freak out scene. Just so he's like screaming with his hands yes. the whole time. Yeah. Uh, the Droogs would be played by Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, and Justin Long. That ac- absolutely tracks. Yep. <laughs> uh, for Dr. Bradley, I, I, I went Dan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters with this. Who's the most unassuming person that you could put to come up with a terrifying Ludovico treatment? Bob Ross. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then you have the, the prison chaplain played by Kevin James. Oof. And then uh, Frederick, the Minister of the Interior, Leslie Nielsen. Okay, I I actually do get behind that one a little bit, but I I honestly like I wrote it, and then I was like, actually, he'd probably <laughs> he might, do an probably all do, right job because he started as a like a, a serious, serious actor. actor. Yeah, that's how he got cast in Airplane. Yeah. they wanted serious actors. Well, and that's what actually was the turn for when I stopped really being interested in his movies is when he was playing the straight man in a completely ridiculous situation. It was hilarious, and when he started trying to be goofy and they made like mr magoo with him it just kind of lost its charm that wasn't what why he was good in those movies he was good because he was playing it seriously in these completely ridiculous situations yeah so but yeah i I love leslie nielsen so and uh something else i learned uh doing the research for this the first movie uh friedberg and seltzer did uh are credited on is spy hard which is a leslie nielsen movie yeah that's Actually, not terrible. No, it's it's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, Andy and also, Griffith makes a good villain. Actually. It makes sense that that's where they got their start, and then they decided to just take that ball and run with it, even though they didn't really capture it in the first place. But. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that's some actual information that I did not know, and I'm kind of stoked to know now, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a problem. All right, so that is our terrible castings for, uh, for Clockwork Orange. Now we're going to go into what... You listeners wanted us to mash up Clockwork Orange with. There's some interesting choices here. Ooh, I'm not sure if I we did. can do much with all of them. There was the obvious choice that actually uh, two people reached out. Our co-host from Beautiful Disasters, Fuck You Hunter, and our friend Murphy Lawless uh, reached out and said that we should mash it up with the Warriors, which is a no-brainer. That's absolutely... that You don't even have to really change the plot at all. No, absolutely. That's, that's just... Uh... The just, beginning scene just yeah, you, stretched out for the whole movie. Exactly. Basically. You just kind of build out the universe a little bit more, and that incorporates the whole warrior story as well. And maybe that's why all the all the different droogie groups are all riled up because there was that shooting that happened in Warriors. You know, I mean, it, it yeah. could be happening concurrently. Oh, man. Yeah. That yeah, would that's a, that would be a great mashup. And I would love to see the baseball furies versus the droogs. You know? <laughs> like, I would love to see how that went yeah. down. Uh, another one that was brought up by... My dungeon master, my uh, my G, uh, my Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master, uh, Jack, uh, Blade Runner is one that he brought up. So you're doing kind of just dy- like dystopian sci-fi future, right? With uh, with Clockwork Orange, which I could see it being instead of like the eyes eyelids being ripped open to watch all the images, more of like an implant chip kind of thing. That's that what point. I was thinking, yeah. like uh, maybe with there you you play up, you know, what what does it mean to be human? And to take away your own human emotions, does that make you less than human? Right. Or, yeah. And then it adds kind of the other side of that conversation. Not artificial intelligence, when do you become human, but also when when removing human elements, do you not become human? Yeah. What, what part of the human experience is more important than yeah. others? Yeah. So that would... Huh. Well, that worked out better than I thought. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> Another one. And fuck you. I don't know what we're going to do with this. The Sandlot. I... 
Yeah, uh, that's one that's of those just like sad. yeah, just it's just mean. <laughs> but the Sandlot kids, that's like the prequel to uh, Clockwork Orange. Is they all used to play baseball in a park together, and then they decided to grow up and become droogies and and like well, it's just like terrorize people. You know, they they go back to have like one last game at night, and then it's just Alex beating up a homeless man for the <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, no Sandlot mashup, thank you. Yeah. Uh, there's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which uh, I'd be interested to see them when they're going into the like tunnel where they beat up the homeless person, and then there's just silhouettes of four turtles on the other end, like, hey! And yeah, then, you just you just hear like some nunchucks swinging. And they're like, okay, this is even too weird for us, and then they bolt, and that's it as far as the mashup. You have like a Ninja Turtles movie that has that scene in it from their perspective, and then Clockwork Orange yeah. with, it, with it. And then it's just never mentioned additionally, but it's this one shared you, moment that makes it like a shared universe. You would you would have to... That that would have to be just a cameo either yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the A-Team. Ooh. So these are all things where it'd be, instead of, you know, Alex being, you know, arrested and reprogrammed and stuff, it's more of like a turning this into a superhero type situation where they're the villains and then who's going to beat up the droogs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um whereas you know considering some of the subject matter that's i don't i don't remember the violence getting that ultra in superhero movies for the most part except for maybe the killing joke uh got kind of dark there but right yeah yeah i don't know how you do the a team a team would be tough uh the other one is stand by me which i guess maybe that the, the body they, the same thing as the sandlot yeah the body they found was the victim of the droogs i guess i don't know Ma- yeah, yeah maybe yeah that would be the only thing i could think but well maybe you could do stand by me is if you made it it's this what i was thinking is these are dystopian movies but they're dystopian movies that stay at the the personal level okay you know like something like 1984 gets you know you see entirely how the government works sure Whereas with the Clockwork Orange, it's just one person's experience yeah. in this dystopian future. And maybe that, maybe Stand By Me could be the same thing. That you just have these kids, you know, in this weird, awful future, you know, entertaining themselves by seeing a dead body. Yeah. I mean, especially if it's dystopian future. I mean, that would be something that would be like, the parents right. might even be like, okay, we'll have fun. Cause, yeah, because <laughs> the, the society is so broken at that point. It's like, yeah, I mean, I don't think you have to travel that far, but go ahead. <laughs> Pretty sure our next door neighbor. But, you know, if you want to go on a trip, that's cool, too. Don't have to feed you for a couple of days, which, you know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. So that's those are some choices. Thank you uh, so much for sending those in to us. Uh, we normally post on our social media before we do an episode so you guys can suggest ideas for mashups. So when you see us posting that, just hit it up on the social media, on the comments. Let us know what you would like to see mashed up or just hit the hotline number 804-505-4GY. That's 804-505-4484. And uh, let us know what you want to see mashed up and we'll read your stuff on the episode. And now on to the final little bit that we got to do before we uh, finish this up, which is the trailer. So I think I'm going to definitely do my serious because I don't know how to make this uh, Clockwork Orange whimsical. I, I tried, and I just felt really uncomfortable with it, so uh, I think I'm going to do my David Cronenberg take. Um, what Which one are you going to do, do you think? I think I have to do the serious the take. The serious take? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's get some music queued up. 
the Stanley Kubrick classic, is coming back this summer. The iconic Alex and his Drews return with a modern take of the legendary film A Clockwork Orange. This summer, join David Cronenberg, director of History of Violence and Eastern Promises, as he takes you on a journey into ultraviolence. Alex, please, is played by Dane Dehan. You know him from Chronicle and possibly Amazing Spider-Man 2. And uh, Dim, the Drew, is played by Rupert Grint. You know, is the ginger from Harry Potter. And he also was in the CBGB movie. You probably, you probably didn't see it. Then, uh, Kieran Culkin, the younger brother of Macaulay Culkin, plays Georgie. He's, he's also good. He's just younger than his brother. Mr. Alexander, the writer and recovering uh, tra traumatic, he, had, he ran into the drugs before and it was bad. He's upset. He's recovering. He uh, was played by Ed Harris, who was in uh, History of Violence. And then, of course, uh, in a turn of events, uh, the uh, Madonna is going to play uh, Mrs. Alexander because we know she needs the work. This summer, A Clockwork Orange Revisited. All right. So that's my that's my take on it. Awesome. That was not awesome. nearly as funny as I was hoping it would be. <laughs> but I don't know. How do you make ultraviolence like real fun? Yeah. 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 This is, this is like not exactly a barrel of laughs. <laughs> no, it, there's some tiptoeing that happens in this uh, in this episode, I think. But that's part of the fun, though, is trying to figure out how to traverse those uh, delicate conversations in a more uh, nuanced manner that uh, you can't really do it the same as you did in the 70s. And that's a lot of the time a good thing you know it means that there's more of an open conversation about some of these elements right and we're re-examining things that we enjoy that, and that that's good yeah and there's plenty of stuff that we still use at exploitative i guess but it's not at the detriment of an entire group of people or for uh or that is like making fun of like truly tragic events that happens to somebody you know it's more i, I don't know it's more silly in our approach to exploitation now versus just completely disregarding of a person's <laughs> feelings i guess but so, yeah, there we go. That's my uh, David Cronenberg, one of two David Cronenberg uh, <laughs> Clockwork Orange movies that we're going to see this evening. So, In a world where freedom is outlawed, only outlaws have freedom. From legendary director David Cronenberg comes the story of a young man never doing no harm. Michael Fassbender is Alex in A Clockwork Orange. Joined by his friends Ryan Gosling, Robert Pattinson, and Robin Lord Taylor. They're just four boys looking for some entertainment on a Saturday night. With Willem Dafoe as Mr. Alexander, the writer. And Michael Keaton as Frederick, Minister of the Interior. A story about a young boy, Alex. A clockwork orange coming this fall. 
just some boys looking for some fun on a Saturday night. It sounds like like yeah, just, just some good old boys in their pickup truck going up to look for some real, trouble. Really like undersell this. Yeah, right. <laughs> so people go in thinking that's just going to be like people finding like a like a field party or something on a Saturday, and it's like, right. oh no, uh, no, no, this took a, a deeply different turn. I was very poorly prepared for this movie. So. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Smack My Pitch Up. We uh, try to release this weekly. Now that we're past GalaxyCon and everything, we're going to stay on a much more regular schedule on release, which means Fridays. Uh, Fridays is a release date for Smack My Pitch Up. So join us next week for another episode. Follow all the podcasts on the Geeks Under the Influence Network at GUIPodcast.com. Come and see me at Booze Clues. We're doing it again on the 30th of June in the dark room in the Hofheimer building in Richmond, Virginia. Doors are at 7, show at 8. We'll be over by 9, 9.15 got uh, four co-investigators to join me to talk about the most spirited headlines from around the world as we quote unquote investigate them it's an absolute blast and definitely uh, makes you have a better appreciation for for how not that big a deal your drunken college hijinks were after hearing some of these stories so join us for that um, all that information is at guipodcast.com and on our social media which you can look up on most parts by looking up either Geeks Under the Influence or GUI Podcast RVA I am Mike the Hobbit and uh, I will see you guys next time. Uh, as always, you just got pitch smacked. GUIPodcast.com. <laughs>